All right, everybody, let's go ahead and uh, let's get started. I hope everyone's had a good day today. I know many of you were at uh, work and things, and maybe you barely had enough time to even grab something to eat. But I certainly am glad to see you. Glad you've made time to be here in the middle of the week as we are here to study our Bibles. We are near the end of our Authority of the Scriptures classes. I think we got two more after tonight. Uh, and tonight we're going to be on lesson 15 in the book. There are 16 lessons. So we're going to be in lesson 15 tonight. Uh, have a lot of things to cover. So we want to go ahead and start with a word of prayer. And then we're going to try to get through as much as we can of lesson 15. Let's have a word of prayer. Holy God, thank you, Father, for blessing us, God, to be here safely tonight. Uh, to be able to open up the word and get some encouragement and to learn, Father, how to rightly divide your word and apply it, especially in our work together as a church. We pray for all of the students here tonight, our young people, Father, especially that you will bless them, bless their teachers. We always pray for the leadership of this good church and that you will bless us, Father, to leave here encouraged and equipped to do your work in Jesus name. Amen. Where are we in our classes? Well, we are in the second part of the local church and the Christian uh, classes. That's lesson 15. Uh, remember, we asked a very important question on Sunday that really serves as the basis and foundation of these classes. And that is, does the Bible make a distinction? between the actions of local churches or the actions of a church and the, action, uh, the actions of an individual Christian? That's the question that really uh, that we're trying to find a Bible answer to uh, in, in these particular classes. And many people, as we pointed out Sunday, say no. They say there's no distinction between the two. They say that whatever the individual Christian can do, well, the church can do that as well. But... We spent a whole class Sunday pointing out how the Bible says no, uh, that that's not right. The Bible does make a distinction. It does make a distinction between the actions of an individual Christian and the actions of a local church. And we considered some of those distinctions. We looked at the domestic distinctions, the distinctions in family, how there are uh, things as an individual I can do. I can get married. I can have children with my spouse. I have an obligation to take care of my family by working, but the local church has a responsibility to look after widows who are truly widows indeed. And the church is not to be charged with widows who are not destitute. So Paul clearly makes a distinction in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. We looked at economic distinctions, how a Christian, an individual Christian, can get a job or start a business. They can make money in a variety of different ways as long as they're ethical. But uh, the local church is to get money in one way and one way alone. And what was that? A collection on the first day of the week. That's how the local church gets money, not by engaging in business. We looked at benevolent distinctions. How as an individual Christian, I have an obligation to do good to all men but especially those of the household of faith. I am to use my blessings, my money as individual to help God's people and people who are not God's people. The destitute, the orphans, the widows, the people at the bottom of the barrel in society, but the local church's funds 
as far as benevolence goes, is reserved for needy Christians, God's people. And then we looked at the spiritual distinctions, how especially in Matthew 18, the Lord Jesus talks about that when a Christian starts engaging in sin, when we notice a brother or sister doing things that are not right, when they sin against us, there are steps the individual must take before the local church gets involved in that. And then the social distinctions, how as Christians we can get together, we can have a good time, we go to sporting events, concerts, uh, we can get together in each other's homes, have meals together, but that's, that's not the work of a church. The church uh, is, is, has no authority to be involved in that kind of work. So we looked at some of those distinctions, but in addition to that, we looked at some fellowship distinctions as well. Fellowship with God. Remember the disciples at Sardis, there were some of them, while the majority of those disciples were not pleasing Jesus, Jesus said that some of them had not soiled their garments, that they were right with him, even though the majority of that group were not. We looked at Saul of Tarsus, how even though the church in Jerusalem initially denied him fellowship, he was in fellowship with God. So men make judgments and sometimes they're wrong, but God knows the heart and God knows if people are truly right with him. So Saul wasn't in fellowship with a local church for a time, but he was in fellowship with God. And then the apostle John denied fellowship by Diotrephes, a man who was trying to run the church, but he still was in fellowship with God. And then we looked at the fellowship with the church. We looked at how somebody, a Christian can be in fellowship with a local church can be in the fellowship of a local church. But that doesn't mean they're automatically in fellowship with God. The immoral brother in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5, in fellowship with a local church until he was uh, disciplined, but he wasn't in fellowship with God. Diotrephes, same thing. And whoever this lady Jezebel was, who was, had uh, some influence in the church at Thyatira, she was in fellowship with that church. She was being tolerated in that church but she wasn't in fellowship with God. So just because we're in fellowship with the Monte Vista group of Christians, that doesn't automatically mean we're in fellowship with God. To be in fellowship with God, we got to do his will, not just be part of a church. The Bible makes that very, very clear. So wanted to just kind of review that real quick. Today, I want to dig more into the church, okay? want to talk a little bit more uh, about the work of a church the kind of work God wants a church to do. We talked about the works that God doesn't want a church to do, and we, and we made the point Sunday that today when you look around, and, and, and we're not just talking about, you know, churches that are X, Y, and Z kind of churches, but we're talking about even our own brethren, you know, churches of Christ, uh, how many churches of Christ even today are involved in all different kinds of works, and we made a list of that, right? We talked about recreation, the fun, the, the basketball, the karate, the the baseball, the softball. We talked about food, how, you know, want to use the Lord's money for food and to and to and to eat. We talked about politics, talked about benevolence to everybody, you know, turn the church into a soup kitchen. And then we even talked about secular education, how some churches are involved in in, in education and in, in schooling for young people. So we made the point Sunday that churches, many churches today are involved in all kinds of different works all kinds of different things that they are doing. But what we want to know tonight is what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about the work of a church? What kind of work does God want a church to do? And so what I'm going to do, we're in lesson 15. There were some uh, questions there in your book, if you've done it ahead of time. 
some scriptures there for you to consider. And I want to put those, I'm going to pop the scriptures up. I'm going to pop them up. And I want you to tell me what you got there. I want to see what you saw when you were at home studying this on your own. What did you see from the Bible? I don't want you just to hear from me. I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. What did you learn from the Holy Spirit about the work of a church? What did you see churches doing in the Bible based on what we saw in Lesson 15? You ready? Let's start with the first one there. Acts 2.42, Acts 4.24, Acts 20, verse 7. Who wants to give an answer? What kind of work did you notice a church doing or churches doing in those verses? Who's got an answer? Yes, sir, Drew. Go ahead, sir. Okay, so breaking bread on the first day of the week, which would probably indicate what, Drew? They were taking what? Lord's Supper. So Drew notices the Lord's Supper there. Anybody else see something that you would? That's a good one, Drew. Outstanding. Anybody else see something that we can categorize this? What kind of work is a church to do? So Drew brought up the Lord's Supper. Yes, sir, Lance. Okay, so we got prayer. Prayer. That's Acts 4. Acts 4. That's, those are Christians coming together to pray. And Acts 2.42. Church in Jerusalem. Praying. That is that is something a church should be doing, and, and maybe many churches aren't doing that enough together. Maybe there's not enough emphasis on that. What else you see there? Yes, Brother Gary. Teaching. Teaching. So we see they, in, in those particular verses, in those particular verses, they are devoting themselves to teaching, to the apostles' doctrine. Yes, ma'am. Do you have a comment? Do you have your hand up? You're just going to say teaching also. So how could we categorize all this? If you were to put... Lord's Supper, studying the Apostles' Doctrine, prayer. What is all of that? That's one, that should be one statement you have in that blank. And it starts with a W. I don't know how else I can make it simple. This is worship. Church is to worship. That's one of the works of the church. It's to come together to worship. To worship God in His way. To pray, to study, to take the Lord's Supper. That is the work of a church, to, to, to exercise faith through worship. So you see where we're going here? All your answers there should have one statement. And the statement should be no more than two words. Very simple. Worship God. Now the second one, we're going to have to do something about the second one. Because the second one's going to require you going to the elders. You're going to have to go to the elders after you leave this class. And you're going to have to tell them something. You're going to have to tell them to fire the guy who wrote the book. Because the guy who wrote the book put the wrong verse there. So I apologize for that. You need to go to the elders and say you need to fire the guy who wrote this book. I, I put the wrong scriptures there. I apologize. It should be 1 Corinthians 14.26. That's my fault. I'm sorry about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. So you may have looked at the verse you had on there like, what in the world is he talking about there? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26, please. And uh, let's read that scripture. I'll read it out loud here. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? So notice how you have a church here assembled. They're assembling together. And he says, when you assemble, each one has a psalm. So you've got some brothers leading singing. They have a psalm, has a teaching. Brother Gary just brought that up. Revelation, you got miraculous gifts in the church, a tongue, speaking in tongues, interpretation. But he says, let all things be done for edification. 
So what's uh, based on that verse, what's another work? And go ahead and change that in your book, please, the 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Brother Rick. Well, even with your long verse. <laughs> you found something, right, Rick? <laughs> That's a great point, Rick. So teaching with understanding. I like that because I think that can even tie, Rick, to this right here. We want people to understand and have clarity because ultimately the teaching, the studying, the all the things we do together shouldn't have any confusion in it because we are supposed to be doing what? Based on this verse. Edifying. It goes with what you're saying. It's edification. And if you don't understand... There's no, there's no edification there. That's why Paul is upset why, with them for not using their gifts correctly and, and misusing the tongue speaking. People can understand without an interpreter. So edification. What does edification mean? Well, that's, I mean that's a big word there. Let's, let's break it down, make it simple. When I say I'm supposed to edify you, you're supposed to edify me. Brother Jane. Oh, no, it's Brother Kevin. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Upbuilding, lifting up, encouraging. That's what we're supposed to do. So that's what we're doing right now. Hopefully you leave here tonight encouraged, built up. That's one of the works of the church. I even put it this way. Christians are to build up one another. They are to encourage each other. They are to help each other stay faithful to God. That's what we do. And, and, and this is part of the wisdom of God. By studying together, by singing together, by exercising our gifts together, we build up each other. We encourage each other. We help each other realize that we're, that we're not alone in, in Christianity, but we're together. And we help each other stay faithful. If you got something you're going through the night, you can go to somebody here and talk to them about that and hopefully be built up. Hopefully you have people here who are helping you stay faithful to God. That's edification. It's very simple. Help the saved, helping each other stay saved, if that makes sense. We're helping each other stay faithful to God. Okay, what about the next one? 1 Thessalonians 1.8. What did you see there? Anybody get one for first? That church in Thessalonica, Paul commends them because they were doing something. And that's, that's a, that really could be two words, but I put one word on my answer. And my one word started with an E, but I want to see what you put. Yes, ma'am, Peggy. They're evangelizing. Evangelism. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul said, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Some of your translations say echo. Maybe you have the word echo there, right? Sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So we don't have any need to say anything. This church is spreading the gospel. And keep in mind, these are new Christians. And so often new Christians are the best evangelists. You know, sometimes when people are Christians a long time, they, they lose their desire to spread the gospel. And maybe that's because they're kind of used to it. They're used to being Christians, so that fire dies down. Maybe it's because they're used to being rejected and they feel like it's no use. But from what I have seen, it's the new Christians who usually do the best job with evangelism because they're so excited about the gospel. They're very excited. It's new to them. So they want to share it. They want to share this new information with as many people as they can. 
And so sometimes as local churches, we got to figure out how to get the senior saints, the people who've been Christian a long time, fired up again about evangelism. Uh, fired up like they once were when they, when, they were new, when they were new converts. Because the new converts are on fire typically for spreading the gospel. And it's because it's new to them. They're excited about it. And these were new Christians in Thessalonica. And they are sounding forth the word of God. And there is a problem when a church is not focused on this particular work. When churches lose focus on the work of evangelism, there are some consequences. What do you think some consequences are when a church stops focusing on evangelism and they are focused on what we see a lot of churches focused on today, the food and the fun and, you know, trying to get people in here by any means necessary. What happens when a church gets off track, when they stop making the focus evangelism? What do you think about that? What, what can happen to us at Monta Vista if we lose our focus on this? Anybody got any thoughts on that? I wrote a couple of things down that I was thinking about as far as consequences go, that if we lose our focus. Brother Kevin, help me out here. Spiritual death, really, for the people in our community. Because how are they going to be one to, for the Lord? Is the Lord going to come to them in a vision? Is the Lord miraculously going to get his word to them? How are the people in this part of the country where we live going to learn about Jesus? They're going to have to learn it from somewhere. Who, where are they going to have to learn it from? You know, and, and what if they don't understand it? What if they don't understand the Bible? Who's going to have to teach them? Who's going to teach the lost the Bible? It's going to have to be us. That's how God set this up. God set this up for Christians to spread the gospel, for messengers to spread the gospel. That's how God set this up. Brother Kevin, real quick. Yes, sir. No, I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that also. I don't want to put it like, I think you're going to go to hell if you don't teach your neighbor. I don't want to say that. But I do want to say that you're not going to be growing very much and you're not fulfilling your purpose. You're not going to be fulfilling your purpose as a Christian. You're not going to be bearing fruit. Uh, and so when Paul put it this way in Romans, Paul says his motivation for teaching the gospel wasn't because he was scared to go to hell. He says he preached the gospel because he felt indebted to Jesus Christ. He felt a great sense of indebtedness that the Lord saved him and he wanted to use that to motivate him to go teach others. That's what Paul's motivation was. It was my love for the Lord and the Lord saved me. I feel indebted to spread his gospel. That's what drove him. That's what you see driving him in the book of Acts. Uh, Brother Don, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, and that appeals to a lot of people, but it doesn't save anybody. It's not the true gospel. So let me keep moving here. Let me keep moving here. Another thing I want to say about this is if we don't teach, Monta Vista will die. Just so you know, Monta Vista will die. 
There are a lot of churches that, I, that I've known of that were big churches. And all they did for years was just try to keep house. And you know where they are now? They're not there anymore. If we don't teach the gospel, Monta Vista will die. And it will die quicker than we realize. Because if we're just depending on us keeping our little house or just depending on the economy right now to bring people in here, you live by the economy. You die by the economy. And right now, a lot of people moving into Phoenix, and they'll bring people in this, and we can have people place a membership. But that's not real church growth. That's just shifting the sheep around. That's just save people moving. That's not kingdom growth. Kingdom growth is through evangelism. Kingdom growth is teaching the gospel and people getting baptized and you have babes in Christ in the local church. So let's not get fooled by even this number right here. We have to evaluate are we an evangelistic church, not just the preacher, not just the elders, but is there a culture of evangelism in the church? Beyond just the preacher, are there Christians here who are inviting people and trying to have Bible studies? If we're just depending on the preacher or the elders or just a couple of people to do evangelism, there's, then that means this church doesn't have a DNA of evangelism. It just depends on a couple of people to do the work, and you can't really grow like that. So we, gotta, we have to generate and nurture a culture of evangelism at Monta Vista. Because so, if Monta Vista is going to continue to grow and thrive like we're doing, and like we have been doing, we must continue spreading the gospel and not being afraid to do that and bringing people into the Lord's kingdom through teaching the scriptures and baptizing people into Christ. That's real church growth. That kind of growth can be sustained no matter what the economy is doing. Does that make sense? Got to do it through evangelism. Yes, ma'am, Lisa. That's exactly right, Lisa. When we're try if we're trying to bring people in here through games and fun, we're demonstrating that, that we don't think the gospel is good enough. It's not good enough to fill these pews. We got to go to different tactic tactics. We got to have gimmicks. And we're not really converting people because Jesus said our mission is to make disciples of the nations. And we don't make disciples of the nations with fun and games. We make disciples of the nations by teaching them about Jesus Christ and, and bringing them to the Lord. So if we really trust that message, and I trust it, I know you trust it, I know all of you trust it, then that's what we got to be about, and that's what we are about. That's what we are about, but that's what we got to keep being about no matter what we see going on in the religious world. Does that make sense? So those are, that's, those are good thoughts there. So I just, I just want to really drive that point home because I would say this. The main work we've been given is evangelism. It's spreading the good news of Jesus. It's trying to bring more people in here so they can enjoy a relationship with God like we enjoy a relationship with God. That's our main goal. That's our main work, and we got to do it together. We got to do it all together. Because there are people you know in your circle that I don't know. And so you got to try to win those people, okay? 
Now, I can help you with that, but I don't have the relationship with the folks on your job like you do. And there are some people I have in my circle of life that, that, that I have influence with that you don't. So we got to work within our groups of life, okay? Next one here, 1 Corinthians 5. What kind of work you see going on there very quickly? One word, discipline. There's discipline going on there. Christians have a responsibility to hold each other accountable. When we see each other doing wrong, God doesn't want us to turn the other way. We have to execute Matthew 18. We have to hold each other accountable, and that may mean pulling back fellowship. And we do that here at Monta Vista. We do that here because we take all the Bible seriously. We want to help each other go to heaven. And so that brother in 1 Corinthians 5 who was with his father's wife was disciplined for his sin. And Paul said, that's the right thing to do. We hold each other accountable here at Monta Vista. Just like we hold our kids accountable when they get out of line in our homes, hopefully, right? It's the same idea. Next one here. Philippians 1.1, Titus 1.5, what kind of work you see the church doing there? I put two words down, but you may have one. Yes. Appointing elders and Brother Dennis in Philippians 1.1, Paul tells us that that church didn't just have elders or bishops, right? They had something else too, right? What was it? They had deacons. They had deacons. And in Titus 1 and verse 5, Paul told the preacher to appoint elders in every church. In churches without elders, there's a, there's a word he uses that is very powerful, are lacking. You ever been in a congregation, and I don't, I'm not trying to be unkind and ugly when I say this. I'm just trying to make a point. You ever been in a situation where you were part of men's business meetings before? Any men been in those situations? I have. And that is not God's will. Now, it's, it's sometimes it's expedient for a church to have that because they don't have qualified leadership. But Paul says that when a church doesn't have what we have at Monta Vista, which are five men who meet those qualifications, a church is lacking. Jesus put it this way. They are like sheep without shepherds. They open for the wolves to get. And so a church needs to make it a goal to appoint elders if they don't have elders. And I've known of some churches, or I know of some churches, that have not had elders for 30, 40 years. They hadn't even been trying to get them. Hadn't even been trying. And that's not good. That's not God's will. Uh, I, I remember when we were trying to get elders. I may have told you this story before. We were trying to get elders. We were on the, on the brink of getting elders when I was preaching in, in Florida. Um, and took us about 18 months to do that. That's probably the hardest thing I've ever done as a preacher is help a church that's never had elders get elders for the first time. That's very difficult to do. There's a lot of resistance for, with that, especially with men who like men's business meetings. And so we were about to appoint them, and a brother came to me and said, as an older brother in the church, he said, I don't like what we're doing. He said, I don't like it. And I said, I said, Sir, you don't want to do God's will? You don't want to do Titus 1.5, Philippians 1? He said, I like things the way they are. And what was he really saying? He wanted to keep his say-so in the men's business meeting. Well, guess what? We appointed some elders. And since I've left that church, they've appointed more elders to the glory of God. But that's what God wants for churches to have is elders and have deacons. That's, that's a church that is equipped Fully equipped to do God's work. And when a church has elders, guess what God wants that church to do? Keep equipping more. Because in Brother Mitch and Brother Rick and Brother Rick and Jason and Dave, 
They're good men. They love the Lord and they're my friends. But they're not going to be elders here forever. Why not? Why won't they be elders here forever? Because like all of us, they'll die one day. I'll die one day. We're all going to die. And when, and when these men pass away, we want to have other men there ready to be elders. I think we all would agree with that, right? Want the church to always have elders. So we got to keep cultivating that. And for the young folks here, start thinking about that now. Read those qualifications. Study them with your parents. So maybe one day you can be the next Mitch or the next Rick or the next Jason or Dave. We want more and more shepherds in the church. So Monta Vista can always have leadership. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 is a good text there. What, what did you... What did you see there in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12? Paul talks about pastors. He talks about evangelists. That's me. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I'm a preacher. And he talks about teachers and all those people, those, those workers in the church are there to do something for the saints. Equip them. Equip them for what does the text say? Work. Work of service. And so one of the works of the church is that when we make disciples and we baptize people, we want to equip them to serve Jesus Christ. We want to equip them to be teachers. We want to equip them to be leaders, to be elders, to be deacons. We want to equip them to be maybe preachers, great encouragers, especially people who are able to evangelize to others in their circle of life. We want to equip the saints. And that's what our elders do for us. That's what I try to do to the best of my ability through preaching and teaching. That's what our Bible class teachers are doing right now. That's what, we, that's what we try to do here is we are trying to equip people to do God's work, to be servants, to figure out what your talent is in the kingdom and to cultivate that and do God's will with it, to hopefully equip you to evangelize to the people you know in your life. That's what we do at Monta Vista. We're trying to equip every member to do things for the Lord, to do kingdom work. That's one of our missions. And then Philippians 1.5, I'll read that one uh, there, Philippians 1.5, and then I want to go to Philippians 4.15. Philippians 1.5, Paul talks to the church in Philippi, and this was probably his favorite church. He had a special relationship with this church. And he says, in view of your participation, some of your translations may have a different word there, sharing or fellowship in view of your fellowship in the gospel that's important from the first day until now since i started preaching since i knew you since i've been doing this you've been participating with me philippians 4 15 philippians 4 15 he closes the letter saying you yourselves also know philippians that the first preaching of the gospel after i left macedonia no church same word Shared fellowship. Share with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. What's a work of a ch the church? What was one of the works of the Philippian church? They did what? Supported preachers. Supported preachers. Using the money to help preachers. To be able to be supported so they can focus on the work of the gospel. The Philippian church did that for Paul. And we do that for a lot of preachers at Monta Vista. If you're new to Monta Vista, if you're visiting... I want you to know that we, we here, under the, the leadership of our elders, we use a portion of the Lord's money to support preachers, to support preachers here. This church supports me very generously. I'm very thankful. I can focus on 
preaching, studying, praying, uh, getting ready to teach, uh, it frees my time up. You give me the gift of time. You give that to me through support. Uh, and, and Brother Brian gets some support. We support preachers around this country and across the globe. We support preachers. And the Bible says that's our work. It's not just here, but it's abroad with the money. So preachers can be able to take care of their families and focus on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a Bible, that's a Bible work for a church. One more real quick, and then I'll get your thoughts. Uh, those passages there, we've talked about this a little bit, so that one should be pretty easy for you. Acts 4, 2 Corinthians 9, we're talking about the money still, the Lord's money. Portion of that money also, in addition to supporting preachers, went to doing what? Doing what in those passages? What do we find the, the church doing with the money? Somebody say it louder? Y yes, ma'am. Yes. Helping, Veronica said it, helping needy Christians. Benevolence. And I, and I want to emphasize two words there if I can. The word needy, true needs, destitute. In, in the time of the first century, it was like famines and stuff. It's not, well, I bought me a Cadillac Escalade, and I know I really couldn't afford it, so I'll go to the elders and let them bail me out of this. No, sir, no, ma'am. That's not a real need. That's just you being foolish with your money, and you got to suffer the consequences on that. Real legitimate needs, disasters, losing a job, something happening to you beyond your control. Does that make sense? Needy and saints. And all those passages, and there were some more I put in the book. The word saint is always used. This is for God's people. We help people as individuals with our money. We can help all people, but the church treasures reserved for saints, but not just saints. Truly needy saints. God takes care of his people who have needs. So I'll pause right there and catch your breath. I want to hear some additional thoughts you may have about these works. I just put seven here for you to think about tonight. Seven works of the Monte Vista Church of Christ. Seven works of every, that should be of every Church of Christ. Any thoughts you have of this? Anything you want? Brother Andy, yes, sir. Absolutely. No, and, and, that's, and, and that was true then, and that man was a worshiper of God and probably somewhat familiar with the scriptures. How much more so is that needed today when most, a lot of people are biblically illiterate, when a lot of people can't tell you where Genesis or Revelation is in the Bible? They need help. They, they need help, and we're the people who are going to help them. Brother Mitch, yes, sir. Amen. 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 Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch says, Sister Carol says, she's all about Jesus and him crucified. Reminds me of a chapter that we read right now, doesn't it? First Corinthians. Well, that was the problem with the Corinthians, that they were not focused on Jesus and him crucified. 
And that's why they had all those problems. And Paul said, you need to get back to Jesus and him crucified. And that's what we are at Monte Vista. We are all about Jesus and him crucified. He doesn't just get a say in this church. He gets the say. He gets the say in everything we do. That's why we are a church of Christ, a church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Uh, any other thoughts about any? Brother Don, yes, sir. You've got a lot of key words in, in, in all of this. But if you start out back in Acts 2, 42, that word fellowship there, and you've got four other words in English that are translated, but it all means we're all working together to accomplish the good. And the good is, what, what's, what's the great commission? There's only one. Yep. Go make disciples. Go make <laughs> Brother Don, that's excellent. Now, and that brings me to my final thoughts, which you said, done. So if you don't mind, I kind of want to go with your thought there. So here are some final thoughts I have on this, and then we're going to pick up with this on Sunday, probably start 16 some. God doesn't leave it up to us to decide what a church should do. It's not up to Sean Jeffries. It's not up to you or anyone. It's up to God. God decides that, and God has told us that. So all these works we're looking at, looking at here, if you look at these works carefully, okay, this is what I hope you can see. All of these works are focused on winning the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, growing as Christians, like our theme suggests, taking care of God's people and the needs of God's people, and helping disciples stay in the fold of safety. That's what this is all about. This is all spiritual stuff. Do you see it? For the most part, it's all spiritual stuff. We're teaching the lost. We're trying to help the saved stay saved. And if needs arise among God's people, God has a means to provide for those needs. And it's Christians providing for those needs. Last thing I want to say, and it goes to what Brother Don says, the work of the church, when you look at these things, please always remember this. When you think about Monta Vista, when you think about if you're a member here, what that's about, we are in this together. You, if you're part of the Monte Vista Church of Christ, you're part of something special. You're part of something ordained by God that is part of God's wisdom. You're part of a church. And you got a role to play in this church, and it's beyond just sitting in a pew. It's beyond just even just putting your money in the plate. You got to get to work. We all got to get to work. And the main work we got to do is we got to spread the gospel, and we got to encourage each other, help each other stay faithful to God. We are in this together, and just because I'm pre I preach, that doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else here. I'm just a brother in Christ. I'm just a man. I'm, just a, I'm a Christian who preaches. That's all I am. I'm just a Christian who preaches. I have a work I'm doing, and hopefully you got work you're doing, and we are doing it together. It's like my mentor told me before I left the training program. He said to me before I left, he said, when you go out and you leave here, he said, when you succeed, we all succeed. When you go out and succeed, the church that trained me succeeds. And I'll say that for us. When we do well, when we do good work here as individuals in our work, we all succeed. We're a group. We're doing it together. So when you win a soul, you're helping Mona Vista grow. You're glorifying God. You're helping build up the body of Christ. And so may God bless us as we do that. We're going to finish this up, Lord willing, on Sunday, and then we'll start some on Lesson 16. Okay? Thank you for your comments tonight. I appreciate it.